0: back to another episode of public problems i'm your host justin bullock this will be season two episode number eight this week Um, and in this episode i have a conversation with a number of students on the topic of childhood obesity and what their research found about the causes of childhood obesity and some things that we can consider doing um, to help combat this issue hope you enjoy the episode and as always thanks for following along Welcome to another episode of Public Problems. Today, we're going to be talking about childhood obesity. Um, Today, I'm with a number of students from the Bush School of Government and Public Service. Uh, They are uh, are working on their Master's in Public Service and Administration and actually took a course with me in the fall of 2017. Um, And What they did is a a lot of background, they got to pick a public problem, Uh, in this case they picked childhood obesity rates, and worked through the history of it work through the stakeholders, work through uh, why it's a problem, why it persists, and um, some solutions. So that's going to be our basic structure for today. But I'd like to take a moment, you're going to be hearing from at least seven different voices today, including mine. So try not to let that confuse you too much, but I at least want you to have an idea of who's around the table. So please take a moment and introduce yourselves.
1: Hi, I'm Elizabeth O'Connor. I'm Caitlin Malik. I'm Adrienne Eskerweather. I'm Ashley Carter.
2: And I'm Chandler Lewis.
0: All right. Thanks so much for joining me and uh, letting me pick your brain over your report. So let's start by maybe talking about what you mean by childhood obesity, rate. Right? I know that sometimes there's controversy around uh, what exactly it means to be obese. And um, so tell us a little bit about what you're talking about here with childhood obesity.
3: Um, so we focused on the BMI's and the overall health and nutrition. Okay. And children.
0: tell me what BMI is, just in case people don't know. Uh,
3: body mass index. Okay. And then we just looked at children from zero from birth to 18 years.
0: And so is the body mass index kind of the generally accepted by people who track the uh, obesity? I mean, is like, is it standardized? Does it change how it's defined still? Like, does the World Health Organization have a standardization for this? I only ask because... With, a, with a, another group that I talked to, there was like a specific definition for, uh, for example, maternal mortality rate. And so I, is it specified in the research that way or where did you get the definition from?
4: So the Center for Disease, Disease Control and Prevention actually defines obesity as just having excess body fat, okay. um, which isn't something that you can really measure. BMI is pretty good for measuring at kind of the standard level a society level. Um, it's not so great for measuring at the individual level because it can be so personalized mm-hmm. and be skewed by like genetics for some, for example, if you're more inclined to lean one way, it's not gonna show up in your BMI. Um, but in terms of society level, which is kind of what, how we were trying to approach this problem primarily, um, at least initially, <clears> that's <throat> kind of the standard.
0: So the idea is that if uh, there's a high societal body mass index, even if individual people it varies for large muscle mass or different body shape, on average it's a relatively good indicator.
4: Yeah, having a a definition of just having excess body fat um, doesn't really give us enough of a direction to be able to tackle this, Mm -hmm. Um, so we were trying to use anything that we could and that's typically standard practicing.
0: And is it? Is it getting worse? Um, Is this something that in the U.S. in particular is it getting worse? Has it stabilized? Do we know? Do we have good data on the U.S. uh, with childhood obesity?
2: Uh, Yes, there has been. Um, It's something that has been noted uh, throughout the uh, the time that we've actually been focusing on nutrition in the United States, um, specifically looking at the individual states as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We've just hit a point where we now have. Over five states with 35% uh, citizens being obese, and this number is uh, just steadily increasing. Um, we've noticed some trends within this, uh, specifically regional throughout the United States. Okay. Um, Tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, the southern states are are known for having issues with obesity, um, and we've noticed that in the past 10 years, the states that have been at the top of the list are continuing to be the top, um, and unfortunately, they're just. <clears throat> Excuse me, just adding more to that, uh, that system.
0: So it's it's not that it's uh, it's not uniformly distributed across the U.S. Um, and this is a number of the issues that we've started talking about seem to have main drivers. So like with the uh, maternal mortality rate, um, it was black women were really driving the high maternal uh, rate in the U.S. And so here, the, these the states that are experiencing high rates of it are continuing to experience high rates of it. They're not able to change that culturally and uh, a bulk of them are kind of in the southeast and what are are there what areas are doing better
2: uh specifically with our research we've seen uh the trends with adult and childhood obesity um are pretty similar when you look by state um the west coast is doing very well specifically colorado is the lowest state um and right now mississippi and west virginia are both uh, competing for the top if you will um so traditionally
0: the uh not um, a good thing to be competing over, I don't <laughs> <exactly>. think. <laughs> uh,
2: traditionally, um, we, we normally see it with uh, the northern states having a better mm-hmm. situation, but unfortunately, if you look at uh, these these maps and trends throughout the years, um, the southern states are slowly climbing um, to these northern states, but the west is traditionally doing a better job.
0: So um, it seems like then the trend has been for this to become uh, more of a problem over time. So how did we get here? Maybe give me a little bit of history About uh, childhood obesity and what y'all found in terms of uh, the evolution of it over time.
3: So, as far as childhood obesity, we didn't start recording um, nutrition and health of American citizens until 1960 with the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey.
0: So, there weren't we weren't tracking this before 1960
3: as like a no, the Best thing that we have beforehand was the food guides that were established in 1911. And right now we're on the seventh edition of the food guide, which is MyPlate, and it's Mm -hmm. focusing on portion sizes. And you can kind of actually see uh, how obesity has played into the nutrition guides because in the original nutrition guide, it was designed for moms who were transitioning their kids into solid foods. And so they just focused on which food groups you need to eat and just gave you seven generic eat this of this, eat this of this. Oh, and now my plate's focused on specifically portion sizes, and they even have like a little graph that shows you how much you should put on your plate when you eat to focus on how much you intake.
0: It's interesting, I mean, I know this isn't the, my point, but it's interesting that the nutrition guide is that influenced by the political environment. I mean, you, I would have thought that maybe it was more standardized than that. So it's, kind of, it's just kind of interesting to me that it's changed over time and then arguably in response to you know uh, evolving cultural issues yeah so um what's the uh, what's the ex- well before we go there why ch- why childhood obesity right obesity is a is a problem that affects lots of people what what was it about children in particular or this particular subset of this problem um and children that was uh, particularly interesting to you all
4: all about eating habits Hmm. they start out when they're really young and then of course if you develop eating habits that are not so great when you're young and you turn into an adult that problem just kind of perpetuates so one in five children are obese whereas one in three adults are obese so we kind of saw it as like a the root of the problem so if we can find a way to tackle childhood obesity then eventually adult obesity will kind of because then
0: those children don't become obese adults and is it is it true that if you're I mean, I imagine that it's true, but is it true that if you are obese as a child, you're more likely to be remain obese as an adult? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so if we take it's kind of like early education. <laughs> like if you want to if you want to sort of help some of societal issues, if you put money on early education and get the next generation better informed, then that helps solve it when they're adults. And so the idea was if you could find strategies to target at children that it would kind of help alleviate it over time. Yes, that's okay. kind of the goal. All right. So where are we now? It's been trending upward but how common is this and how does it, I don't know um, if you compare it across states or to other countries, but where where are we now with this problem?
1: So the World Health Organization actually has classified this as the most serious health problem of the 21st century. Globally, um, 41 million children are considered obese or overweight, mostly in Africa and Asia, but those trends have also been seen in America. Um, this has caused by many different things there's different lifestyles in our parents and grandparents different issues going on less time to be outside and play and just get that natural exercise that most kids are able to do um, comparably there's unable to do anymore because of school and other activities and parents being too busy or the like
0: mm-hmm. so is it um so the, you mentioned that a lot of the children uh, obese children are abroad. What's the rate in the, do we know the rate of childhood obesity in the in the US or how common it is specifically in the US compared to other countries?
1: Um 30 about 33% um about 33 percent consider overweight or obese in America and that has been increasing. So it's
0: one in 3, right? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: When you put in <clears> throat> throat> obesity with overweight, yes.
0: And so you talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about the causes of obesity. This is something we had talked about in some uh, throughout your uh, report, as you, were, as you were writing the report. And so I know that there's a debate about what are the drivers of obesity. And so we talked, uh, you talk, mentioned a little bit about exercise and diet. So how does this kind of, what did you find about what are the things? maybe tell me a little bit more about the things that are driving increased rates in childhood obesity.
1: So, nowadays, it's just a lot easier to eat unhealthy. Our portion sizes, we just naturally want more food during each meal. Um, They have more sugars, more carbs, and if you aren't actively thinking about or trying to eat organic or healthy, it's very easy to fall into that rut. So, that's one of the big causes. It obviously affects children and their parents, and specifically children because their parents are obviously the ones feeding them. Um, Other issues are children learn from a very young age that it's okay to stress eat or emotionally eat from their parents. So they go through childhood thinking, I can have a snack if I'm upset because that might help. And that over time will add up um, both psychologically and in weight. Mm -hmm. And that then causes bullying, which then causes more stress eating. It's a constant cycle.
0: Yeah, so let's let's talk about it. So it seems like maybe then it's – a function in part of of diet and in part of exercise right both of is it true to the best of your understanding of the research that in some way both of these factors are affecting this problem definitely, is that fair definitely. to say okay and so <clears throat> one thing we didn't talk about at the beginning i suppose is why is this it might be maybe on its face it seems self evident but maybe not what are some of the problems with a child being obese there are, uh, there's problems with uh, health outcomes with adults being obese. So let's go through maybe some of the, you were starting to hit on some mm-hmm. of those, but why should, why should we care that children are obese?
1: I mean, <clears throat> going from childhood to adulthood, if you're obese as a child, you're more likely to have heart disease, liver disease, kidney disease, but also diabetes can hit you really at any age, um, type 2, mm-hmm. can hit you at any age, and that obviously affects children and adults. So... These health issues also, children can go through puberty at a younger age, and that psychologically can affect them. It can affect their perception in society, excuse me, from how people perceive them. And it just causes a long list of things that will inevitably follow them into adulthood.
0: And so, my guess is also that uh, it. If all of these things are going on with the child, I mean, it has to be harmful to their ability to learn and do well in school as well, I would think.
1: Children who are overweight or obese tend to be more depressed and anxious in school. Um, they tend to be more loners and have less social stimulation just because of their reaction of their peers, their uh, self-esteem and how they view themselves and how they think others are viewing them. So it definitely hurts them in the long run as far as growth goes.
0: <sighs> Some of this stuff sometimes are just like, ugh. So what, what's being done now already? I mean, when you looked into this, what's, uh, what are some of the things that have, people have been, different policies or different approaches that have been tried to uh, mitigate this problem?
3: Um, so lady, uh, first lady Michelle, former first lady Michelle Obama started the Let's Move initiative. And her goal in mind was to tackle childhood obesity and eliminate it within a generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of where the the my plate the portion size that i talked about the latest edition Mm -hmm. of the food guide uh evolved from the let's move initiative program and so she's been focusing on portion sizes and that's just one of the many things that have been going on
0: and it was do you uh how much of the let's move did you cover i mean some people may remember but it has been a couple of years now and so what what were the the my plate was a component of that i remember a piece I recall, was also more exercise time for children in schools, like more gym time or something. Um, what were, do you remember or did you look into what were some of the other um, things that were a part of, of that particular campaign?
3: So they, she focused on spending at least an hour a day outside, 60 minutes of play, um, and she also focused on the types of food that go into lunch programs. I distinctly remember they don't allow fried food, mm-hmm. everything had to be at least baked mm-hmm. and you can only eat so many calories and you had to have at least one food trick. So
0: and I know this is a, a recent policy but did you come across uh, evidence of whether or not, has there been any program evaluation that you came across in this process yet? It might be a little soon for that but I was just wondering part if... Part
1: of it's already been um, cut back on in okay. the current administration. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if it has... a already been active but early last week certain foods that were taken away from school lunches are now being put back in
0: okay so there's uh there's already moves to uh, To pull back some of this Right. okay so um all right how how do you think we should deal with this problem what in your research did you think would be the most useful strategies for attack attacking childhood obesity um, so that we could maybe achieve Michelle Obama's goal of doing away with it in a generation. What, what should we be doing?
5: So our first solution is parental education. <clears throat> and the basis for this is because the family is in such a powerful position to either contribute to, a, to the child's healthy future or fail to do so. So education for parents is the prominent solution in, our, in terms of our first solution. And going back to the causes, as Elizabeth was going through, we go through four different influential stages that affect whether or not a child has a proclivity towards obesity. The first being physiological predisposition. The second being the eating habits of modern day children, which we kind of went over. Mm -hmm. The third touches on parental knowledge gaps. And the fourth is how parents structure the emotional climate for the child as they're being raised. And um, each of these has implications on the child's perception of themselves and their eating habits. Mm -hmm. And um, we just feel like parental education is the first primary way to tackle that.
0: Did you give any thought into how you might reach those parents? Um, So I know one thing we were talking about earlier is that children learn how to eat from their parents, right? And so part of this is like a... Um, a cultural knowledge gap, which you just mentioned, mm-hmm. and so did you think about? Did the group have any ideas about how you might go about educating the parents? Is it through like healthcare providers? Is it through subsidized education? Like what what types of things would help get parents educated? Do you think?
5: Yes. So both of those do apply, and I kind of we kind of did a universal approach where. Um, as soon as the child is born, up until they turn one, they must see the pediatrician three to five days after birth at months one, two, four, six, and nine, and at month 12. And during this time is where parents bring their children to the physician the most. And here is where we could implement repeated visual, verbal, and physical information and ensure that the parent is educated <coughs> on the different healthy habits to display to their child as they're growing up. And they can just take that on with them as they... Go past month twelve.
0: That would be just with their with, uh, with the physicians. This would be something add on, added on to post uh, post birth care. Yes. Okay. As well as nurses. All right. All right. What uh, what else?
5: Um, the secondary aspect of our education would be through incentivized and free courses at local public schools mm-hmm. in the evening on topics such as the pros and cons of breastfeeding, what to expect of your child as he or she develops. Proper portion size and what activities the family can do together to reach that active 60 minutes per day mm-hmm. and our idea is that the pay for instructors would come from the health budgets public schools receive rooted in income tax and another unique approach that we kind of thought of <coughs> was that instruction could also come from high school or local college students that are passionate in the area in exchange for volunteering credits or um, resume credentials. Mm -hmm. And this would be viable in areas where health education is not funded or popular in school curriculums. And this would be excellent practice for future health educators that wish to study these kind of topics in college Mm -hmm. and beneficial for new parents as well.
0: Okay, so um, I think these are uh, um, pretty... um, say relatively non-invasive policies that you've come up with and I know that there's also literature and discussions about um, uh, for example um, changing the choice structure um, for like when children uh, are at a cafeteria at a lunch cafeteria making sure the desserts are at the end right and the healthy foods are first Um, did you look into, um, uh, were there other sort of solutions that maybe there wasn't a complete group consensus on, but that you saw um, that you maybe didn't want to give a full endorsement to, but what other strategies did you come across um, that could also tackle this? Because it strikes me that um, these, are, these are good steps, but there are they are non-invasive. So what's the range of choices here? So I like, you know, again, I like that you went with the non-invasive choice because I think these are less controversial. I think people can get behind resources devoted in this way. But what else was out there that people might have had some type of aversion to? For example, one that I've seen that you hear about is like a hefty tax on sugary sodas. Um, And that economics-wise seems to make some sense to me in that if you tax, this is what we do with alcohol, this is what we do with tobacco, we know there's some negative Um, uh, externalities to society for people smoking and drinking sounds like from my understanding of what contributes to obesity that uh, consumption of sugary sodas for example is probably a large contributor in terms of the diet along with the large portions um and so is there a reason why you avoided some of these or did you come across some of these more um interventionist i suppose ways of tackling this
4: we do have um, we did talk about also about like solutions in terms of like food deserts and Mm -hmm. particularly for lower income Mm -hmm. so like how to target that
6: particular group
0: so tell me what a food desert is that might not be something that everyone knows
6: so um a food desert is an area that's essentially doesn't have any grocery store any kind of farmers market really anything around them um for a mile and they also don't have any way to get to something mm-hmm. within that mile. And so it's um, parts of the population that can be upwards of 10% okay. that do not have access to anything around them. And so they have to rely on maybe convenience stores, they have to rely on fast food um, restaurants. And so we're talking
0: about areas where there's not really access to a grocery store that has fresh foods, for mm-hmm. example. Yes, yeah, like- so
6: they don't even have the option. So they just kind of have only either like a quick like chips or something at a convenience store they can get you know cheap food at mcdonald's Mm -hmm. but it's close and it's what's there they can't help it
0: yeah yeah so uh, okay so trying to address uh food desert seems like a clear one to me as well because if you don't have access to quality healthy food as a choice it's not it's not really a a choice for you were there others that you come across as well just to make people aware of them
6: so tackling food deserts was something that Let's Move also wanted to do. Mm-hmm. They had partnered with several other government organizations, like Health and Human Services, um, the USDA, um, to just kind of get funds out there. And mm-hmm. that's what a lot of these government organizations are doing: is contracting grant management. And so they're contracting out to businesses as well as nonprofits to try and incentivize them to go into these neighborhoods because businesses don't want to go there because they're not going to make money. And so they have to find some other some other way to get them there, and that's through these contracts. The USDA has an education program which is called Know Your Farmer, and it's educating people and saying this is where a local farmer is. Partner with them and try and get this fresh food to these places. Um, there's the Treasury has several different funds available that people don't necessarily know about, okay. and it's businesses don't take advantage of these mm-hmm. things, and so they just kind of sitting there.
4: There's also like community gardens mm-hmm. and offering plots um, so that people in food deserts or black <laughs> like would be able to go ahead and have some food that they can grow themselves. Um, so we there's like that mentality. We also talked a little bit about, about um, nonprofits and different ways that they could distribute food mm-hmm. to get to some of those lower income, but those solutions all are at that very much lower income level mm-hmm. um, and not as much for like the middle class area.
0: And so um, you both mentioned nonprofits. Are there any um, kind of nonprofits you came across in your research that are that are particularly active in uh, helping combat childhood obesity, or just obesity in general?
4: I do know that, so I am a past AmeriCorps, and I was working for Campus Kitchens, mm-hmm. which is based in Washington, D.C., but but is all over the country at different universities. And they take food from campuses and repurpose it for people in need. Um, so I know that they, they try and promote healthy food, and I know that they're not the only one. So it's no, not so much as, um, tackling obesity in particular, but more like trying to give everybody that like my plate type of situation so mm-hmm. like their diet and providing them with nutritional food. And mm-hmm. um, so having community gardens, having food that gets distributed, being less sugary, um, things like that. Um, Unfortunately, food banks, there's not like any regulation on things. Like when you go to a food bank, there's desserts and there's desserts like cake and cupcakes and cookies that you can get along with like your bread and your vegetables and your food. So like there are options, but it does have to be like a conscious effort of these nonprofits to not pick up cake and instead pick up something else. Um, But then you also do have the trade off of like, well, if you're feeding like a homeless person, they probably haven't had cake in a while. So you want to give them a treat. Um, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like an, an awkward balance that mm-hmm.
0: you have to walk sometimes so it, it's kind of depends yeah I uh, did a little bit of work uh, uh, in my graduate program into the kind of fractured nature of nonprofits it's interesting food banks was one in which we worked a little bit with um, and it was surprising to me how um, I guess how very decentralized it is and unregulated it is I and mean, within a Even within one county, it wasn't clear that the county knew who all the food banks were. And so just the like basic information for where to tell people to go to get food wasn't always available at at the local level. Um, Okay, so it sounds to me like this is something that has been getting worse. um, And it has been getting worse in part because changing lifestyle. And so in changing lifestyle, meaning everything from changing eating habits to changing exercise routines, right? Um, is it, um, are, there, are there other reasons that are influencing those things that we missed? And so one thing I've, I'm aware of, for example, is um, targeted ad- advertising of products to children, and so this is like direct-to-consumer advertising to children of unhealthy products. Is that something that you've given any thought to or came across in your research?
1: I think something, something like that is one of those things where you have to learn to the self-control. Like Anya was just saying, like, sometimes you would, would want to treat, and sometimes, like, you have to understand, like, it's not in your best option to do that. You can't deprive yourself, obviously, of all sugary foods and all carbs and stuff that – leads to obesity inevitably but you also need to like watch your intake and make sure you're not overindulging. make it like a, a treat or a reward for like a good day or like a good grade on a test for a child or something mm-hmm. like that
0: mm-hmm. and um do we do you think it's do you think it's reasonable to expect children to have that self, kind of self-control or is this more of kind of going back to the parental education thing
1: Definitely back to the primal education. I mean, like you said, direct-to-consumer advertising, a bright color is going to attract any child, mm-hmm. especially if they like the food and the taste and the sugar high they will get from it. So it's the parents really taking that role as being a parent and just stepping in and be like, in two weeks you're going to regret eating that because you're going to keep eating it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's them really taking the control.
0: As a, as a group, do we think it's this is um, something that, uh, it sounds like the group kind of came down on the side of uh, just no government intervention. Is this sort of like a, is this, uh, why did we come to that solution in this case? Because I, so I, would, I would argue with, argue to you that there are some really good tools that we could use, but they require government to do stuff. And so in doing that is, um, was the idea to try to build as much consensus as possible across different ideologies so that you didn't have to tap into too much government intervention because for example i mean i know i brought it up a couple times now but like taxing sugary goods or we regulate commercials on alcohol and tobacco for children it doesn't seem that interventionist to me to regulate um advertising of sugary products right At least on its face it doesn't seem at super intrusive to me so but it sounds like the group's a little averse to these things is does their particular reason why, or did you want to just, again, remain pretty non-interventionist?
1: I think the current political state of both politics and society is to not have as much government regulation anymore, especially under the current administration. 18 months ago, I think our solutions could have involved more of the government and more... So we think about just- it from a
0: pragmatic level, like what can we actually potentially get our government to do? Or what things can we actually do without having to get the government to do much? Because maybe that's not... Practical. I don't think
1: childhood obesity, at least at the federal level, is a huge topic that they are discussing right now, considering our president eats chips for dinner every night, um, but at the, same,
0: at the same time, at
1: the same time, it should be, but it's one of those things where education for parents at the state and local level can definitely be something that is brought in food deserts at the local government level, but as a federal policy, uh, no.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's what I was trying to get at was the why, I figured there was a a reason behind, and that makes sense to me, given that one. I mean, childhood childhood obesity is no longer on the. If it was, and it arguably was under Michelle Obama's uh, efforts, if it was on the federal government's radar, it's not at the moment, um, as we sit here in December of 2017. Um, but so that's a that's a good argument to me, because it doesn't seem to me like the current Congress is going to be in the business of passing legislation on to tax sugary goods, for example. And so exactly. through that framework, I think this makes um, makes a lot of sense. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with on this issue and why you think it's important or partic- one of your particular solutions you want to make a final kind of plea for um, to the audience?
1: I think the people of our generation, so the people currently in undergraduate and graduate school, we were really raised under Let's Move for... Mm-hmm a lot of our conscious being able to pick what we were choosing to eat when we were teenagers so i hope that we take what we were taught back in middle school and high school and then bring it to our children one day and that that could help solve the problem or at least alleviate
0: it a little bit more mm-hmm. so the hope is just maybe with a change in a generation of culture of exactly. parenting um, that there'll be some changes i sure hope so um anything else you want to add
2: um i would just say learn from our experiences um we've kind of hit upon the fact that Uh, obesity is such an issue that you're either suffering from it or you're experiencing someone who is so um, like we were saying we've lived in a time where we're progressively trying to uh, find a solution to this problem that doesn't seem to be working so learn from what you have on the individual level Mm -hmm. and that could maybe not affect the system as a whole but affect someone else and just by affecting someone else that could Legal, a, a huge impact.
0: Just by being aware and sharing this information. I mean, even mm-hmm. the, the basic information, what I would think of as the basic information about the contributing factors to obesity, aren't uh, widely known always. Mm-hmm. Anything else?
6: Um, I would just reiterate like talking about how with government intervention, mm-hmm. uh, that was something that with food deserts, that would be wonderful if we could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be a total kind of reevaluation of all these programs and taking like what was good and what was bad from I mean every level from nonprofits all the way up to these federal initiatives that do or do not maybe have good kind of um, consequences for the people affected by food deserts affected by food insecurity who don't have access to these foods um, but that would cost money and that would take a lot of time and that's not something that I think currently the government is worried about. Mm -hmm. And that we've kind of rehashed that several times. The government just isn't maybe worried about um, childhood obesity and obesity in general, but.
0: Yeah, the food deserts one is one that uh, seems like it can really be, I mean, you know, we we talked about it earlier with changing lifestyle, right? Both parents working, um, busy, trying to do fast, quick food. And that compounded with not even having access anywhere near you to fresh, high quality food. Um, seems like it's uh, could play a large role in in the unhealthy eating habits of particularly in, in areas where people don't have access to healthy options right anything else all right well thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today um, this is very informative thanks for all your work and for taking the time to help make um, the general public aware of this issue so thanks again thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of season two of the public problems podcast. If you would like to help support this podcast, you can do so by sharing the episodes with your friends, family, students, and liking our page and following along as we do live events. You can also support the public problems podcast financially by subscribing to the podcast at justinbullock.org slash subscribe, or by clicking the shop now button on our Facebook page. Here you can pick any monthly subscription or single donation amount that you'd like to contribute. Any support is greatly appreciated. I very much believe in this podcast and its content and hope to make it more visible and have more time to spend on it in the future. Thank you very much.